good morning. Oh, we can do better than that. Good morning. That sounds so much better. Giving honor to God, who's the head and the author and finisher of all our faith, to the ministers on the roster, to each of you, my fathers and children in Christ, welcome to the village. These are your announcements. Oh. Well, um, got something in front of me, not the announcements, but I would like to say that the village group of DeMarco Teague will be meeting this evening, and these are your announcements. Govern yourselves accordingly. when you try to help your husband and you mess it up. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome again to the Village Church. Let's sing this little song as a prayer to the Lord. Um, it is taken directly from the Psalms. And it says, Create in me a clean heart and purify me. Create in me a clean heart so I may worship thee.
thank you for bringing us safely into this place to worship you this for this morning in spirit and in truth and so we ask spirit that you just move in a mighty place in a mighty way in this place today lord let us fix our eyes on you father help us cast our cares at your feet and rejoice in jesus name amen if you would please stand for our call to worship it is taken from psalm 22 verses 25 through 28 please join with me where it says people from you comes my praise and the great congregation my vows will i will perform before those who fear him the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied those who seek him shall praise the lord may your hearts live forever all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the lord and all the families of the nations shall rejoice before you for kingship belongs to the lord and he rules over the nations. Amen. Amen. Praise him, praise him, Jesus, our blessed redeemer.
Praise him, praise him, ever in joyful song. He's worthy of all of our praise and all of the glory, strength and honor. Give to his holy name.
is yours, Lord. It is yours, both now and forever. We sing praises to your name. We glorify your name. King of kings, Lord of lords, there is indeed none, none like you, none, uh, none worthy of the praise that we sing, Lord. You created us to give you glory. You created us to go out into this world and live lives for you. There is none like you, none righteous, no one who knows it all, no one who sees it all. You have all power in your hand. You knit us together in our mother's wombs. By your stripes we are healed and we say thank you, Lord. We praise your righteous, holy, mighty name. You go before us. You are our banner. You are our battle axe. You are good. You're the good shepherd, the great high priest who is acquainted with our our struggles and our frustrations and our weaknesses and yet did not sin. We praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us enough to be that bridge to restore us into right relationship with the Father. We thank you. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who illuminates the word for us, who who guides us in all wisdom, teaches us all things, and convicts and corrects. We thank you, Father, Son, and Spirit. We thank you for this day. We thank you for waking us this morning. We thank you for bringing us into this place so that we as a body of believers can declare that you are good and your mercy endures forever. We love you, we praise you, we glorify you in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, the Most High. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, Village Church fam. Good morning. Wake up out there. Good morning. You guys know me. I'm Marcus Nobles. This is my ministry assistant, Olivia. Can you? Oh, she, she just got shy. She, she hadn't been shy there the whole time we've been standing back there. My duty is simple. We're going to read through our confession of faith. And it comes from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number 21. I'll read the question, and together let's read the answer. Who is the Redeemer of God's elect? All together, the only Redeemer of God's chosen ones is the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal Son of God, became man, and so to be God and man in two wholly distinct natures and one person forever. And now for our prayer of supplication. Please pray with me. Father God, the Almighty, we come before you humbly once again to say thank you 
Thank you for being our God and thank you for choosing us to be your people. Father, remind us that it is you that is in all things that gives us strength and it's never us alone. Father, remind us that you are the redeemer of us, your chosen people. And we're so thankful that you choose us every day. Father, we come to you to confess all of our wrongdoings and in, and in all the ways that we've fallen short over this past week and to confess all the ways that we'll fall short in this upcoming week as well. And Father, we give thanks to you and confession to you and give adoration to you, the one who is worthy of all things. And Father, we pray right now that you will continue to intercede for us, to go before us, to go ahead us, to, to go ahead of us, to continue to be all around us, behind us, beside us. As we travel through this world and live in this broken and fallen world, that we will be constantly reminded that your hand is in all things and that with you, God, we are never alone and that we can do all things through Christ, not because we're so good or that because we're so worthy, but because you are so good, God, and you are so worthy and your righteousness is therefore imputed on us. So remind us of that as we go forth. And Father, as we prepare to hear the word from our brother, Bill Nash, may you bless the words of his mouth and the, and the preparation of his mind and his heart so that the words of you, our Lord and Savior, will be written deeply on the tablets of our hearts and that as we go forth from this place, we will remember the words that you've given us. This and all things we pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, good morning. It's always fun to sit on the front row because, like, I'm facing forward and I'm going to turn around and know if there's going to be two people here or as many as there are right now. So this is great. I'm really glad to be here. And um, I'm, I'm so grateful that I keep getting asked to come back. And so that's I do enjoy being here and um, love your senior pastor very much and the people that I've gotten to know here. Um, and so I, I really do enjoy being here. So a couple of things I, I need to say before I get started. Um, essentially, this would be this, that this sermon this morning is not kind of your typical thing. And I'm well aware that it's not expository. It's kind of topical. And, um, and it's, sort of, it's a really attached to some observations that I've been making as a result of the, this ministry that God has called me to that's about a little over a year old at this point that I had um, and were, it was founded with three other men here in Huntsville. And the name of the ministry is called Into the Wild. And that name comes from not like a ministry where I would take you on a camping trip or anything and we'd go into the wild. Because I can't imagine ever doing anything that involves a tent. I mean, that's just not my speed. I couldn't do it. Um, but the wild is how I've sort of termed everything outside the brick-and-mortar church. You know, it's the, when we leave here today, man, we go out and back into the wild. And um, the ministry that into the wild is, it's, a, it's an evangelism ministry for the rest of us. Um, uh, this idea that, well, can I be an evangelist or how do I evangelize? And I'm trying, what we're trying to do is sort of live it out. Um, and we also want to help churches in our denomination, primarily at our presbytery. And so I've got a year experiment that's going on with the church here in town, trying to help them catch a vision for what evangelism could be like. And, but the ministry started because 
um, it's always been the case that our culture is running this way while the cross is this way. You know, you know, the following Christ is going this way and our culture is always running this way. But it sure seems like in our current day and time, um, it has radically changed. And, and primarily I see it in the fact that we are more and more and more a post-Christian culture. Uh, the South is finally catching up with the Northeast and the West and the coastal cities. The South is finally starting to see um, the fact that people don't wake up anymore and go, hey, let's try church. So when you set up a church, whether you locate in the neighborhood or not, if you set up a church, the attractional model, like, hey, if you build it and they will come, is less and less a reality. And so as a people, um, we need to have our antenna you know, recalibrated, maybe take off our glasses, wipe them off a little bit to see the opportunities that we have in our daily life. And that's part of the ministry, sort of recognizing that. And, and as I go and do it myself, um, I try to tell you about it like in newsletters or if I have an opportunity to preach like this, talk a little bit about it. And then um, the third thing that we do is we want to help churches in our presbytery, in our denomination, um, sort of just catch this vision for this. Uh, our culture needs us. Like the thing that people need, you know, they need Jesus, but the other part of it is they need the body of Christ because this is how we encourage each other and how we grow together. And, man, we have – the world is missing out on so much, and we got to take it to them. So, all right, so there's my, my spiel. But maybe this helps orient because I'm telling you, this sermon, you know, Alex brings you guys steak every week, you know, good expository preaching. I think we're about to get a Salisbury steak here, uh, <laughs> a little bit of ground beef. But I think it'll be helpful. I really do. I'm, I'm learning. Okay, so uh, probably sometime last year I, I was here and I preached a sermon on my evangelism teacher and um, things I was learning from him and, and sort of the, the, the thing about who that evangelism teacher is is he's my he was then 30, now he's 31. He's my 31-year-old uh, uh, son, uh, Billy, and he's, a, again, a 31-year-old man uh, with autism, very severe autism, such that um, he has to be uh, live in uh, assisted living. So he doesn't live in our home anymore. Um, and I, I, I was able to hopefully pass on some evangelism ideas and what I'm learning about evangelism from having him in our life. I want to expand on that a little bit this morning and to say, what, what am I learning about evangelism? Because as, you know, heading up an evangelism ministry, I sort of put so many things in through that lens. Um, but here's what I'm learning about evangelism from the special needs community. The special needs community made up of special needs people, but it's also made up of parents of and siblings of special needs people. And so there's those things I'm gleaning from it that I want to pass on. Um, our involvement in that community of people continues to shape who we are. My, my wife and I and, um, and um, Billy and his brother and sister. It continues to shape us. Being involved in that community is absolutely shaping us. And we continue to learn. Uh, we continue to cry. We continue to laugh. Um, sometimes being involved in it gets us angry. Um, and we want to quit. We just want to back off. And we want to quit everything. I mean, you know, walk away from it all. And um, 
Sherry and I will tend to argue even, my wife and I. Um, it's just it's such, a, such a hard thing to face and see and be part of. So all those things happen all the time. But a, a quick summary of who Billy is. Uh, he's our firstborn. We had two children after him, Alec and Kelly. Kelly's our youngest. She's 26. So we're like old parents at this point. Uh, at least I feel like I am. Um, but when Billy was 17, we had to place him out of the home because he turned violent. It was this sort of progression through his life. When he was younger, we always thought, well, hey, you know, it'll be just the three of us, my wife and myself and Billy. But as kind of time went on, by the time he was 17, he was very agitated. Life was just too much for him, and he was very agitated. He was a danger to himself and to anybody around him, even our neighbors. It just became this kind of home where it was very traumatic. Um, one of the uh, is still feeling the effects of it, but that was ha- what had to happen. And um, the story of that day when we realized he needed to be placed out of the home um, and that we couldn't care for him anymore. You know, when, when you're a parent, you realize, I can't care for my child. Wow, very painful times. Um, but what happened that day and then months later where he was able to be placed in, um, in an assisted like adult special needs care, and he became part of that and to the point where now he's living here in Huntsville in an organization that does the best they can to care for special needs kids, I mean adults. And, um, but he's here in town and we see him every week and we're part of his life. And so it's so, um, but his care even now is something that we beat ourselves up over, you know, that we're not doing enough. How is it that we can't care for him? And and we just need to spend the afternoon with them when we realize we couldn't do this day in, day out. We don't have the energy or the strength and the resources to do it. And then that's been something that continually just weighs on our hearts. Um, a special uh, adult special needs care is never a warm feeling. It just never is. If you've ever had to place uh, maybe a parent in adult care, you just you stay on top of it all the time. It's never like the greatest thing. It's not like a really great TV show. You know, where everything goes right. It's just never like that. Um, it is a continual reminder for us that we live in a broken creation. And that reminder never stops. Now, we've learned survival skills. Having Billy as our son has permanently shaped our whole family. It's the most real thing in our lives apart from Christ in us. It is the most absolute real thing. It grounds us continually. Um, it's the, it's the, probably the primary event that has... Uh, made us and is making us, even now. Now, I must say this. It's all under the wise and perfect direction of our sovereign God and King Jesus. I believe that, period. I'm so grateful that our faith hasn't been shaken. Our faith actually has increased. Um, and I know there will be hard days ahead, and I'm sure that will be tested, because it never, ever feels good. It never. Um, now, let me pass on what we've learned. Um, in ministry or kind of in life, um, if you're out in the wild, right, if you leave here, you know, so for for a big part of this morning, you're going to be walking on Christian carpet, shaking Christian hands, having Christian conversations, and you're going to walk out into the wild. And you're going to be in a world that is increasingly pushing back on us. And, you know, out in that world, you can get caught up in it, and it can pull you, you can get caught in the stream, And so, so often we have to come back to first principles, the things that we know are true and keep coming back to them. Um, Certainly our Christian faith is part of that. Now, in a ministry like uh, Into the Wild, 
I wanted to develop first principles so that I could continually sort of pull back to like, what is it we're trying to accomplish? What does God want us to do? And so I'm going to give you just one of our first principles, one of the first things. And I'm going to do it by way of two stories, and hopefully we'll get into God's Word. There'll be a passage. I told you this is way different than Alex. Man, he would already read the Word, and he'd be parsing every word and stuff. So this is some Salisbury steak for us. Maybe, maybe there might be some mushroom gravy here in a second. Okay, so I'm going to tell you a couple of stories, and we're going to learn some, maybe a first principle. All right? So here's the first story, and both of these stories are stories of contrast. And they're about the special needs community that we are part of. All right, so in the early 2000s, I just graduated seminary. We were living in the northern suburbs of Atlanta. We were in the process of planting a church. Um, Billy was about 10 or 11. And the church planting world, as Alex knows, and a lot of other pastors, you know, it's just hectic. You're you're trying to get this thing up and running. You've gathered a bunch of other Christians. You're trying to pull them together, and they're there in your church until you start a worship service on Sunday, and that gets going, and and all these temporary facilities, and you're just, it's just this chaotic thing that happens, and you're just working really hard. Well, one Sunday, um, uh, we were, you know, in a facility where we had to tear down, you know, and set up, tear down, so we had kind of finished that. Um, and then I was hearing, and I said, Bill, you, somebody said, Bill, you need to come and help what's going on in the Sunday school class. There were two moms in there arguing. They were upset with each other because, and I can't remember the exact details, one of the moms, their kid was told to be quiet in Sunday school. All right? And that mom found out, and that mom that was a teacher that had a kid in the Sunday school, they were having at it. It was two mama bears going for it. And I walk in the middle of this. And I don't know really what to do other than to kind of listen and try to calm it down. And in my head, I'm already doing the math. This will not go away fast. This is going to be on into the future. And I'm just thinking, but here are these moms arguing. Well, that afternoon after worship, we were going to go to Billy's, our child's special needs school, their, their spring uh, pageant or their spring show, right? They did something in the winter and they did something in the spring as well. And this one was kind of like they always were. You show up, and then here's your child up there, you know, dressed up in something, lip-syncing to something. Or, again, these are special needs kids, and they're doing, you know, things that are just, you know, as a parent, you're proud of them, right? You just go, wow. You know, there they are doing something. And it's kind of chaos and that sort of thing. But I loved going to it. Well, I got these two moms keeping me from going to this, and I just wanted it to be over. I want them to figure it out, solve it. Well, I don't know exactly what happened. I can't quite remember. I think I put it on my mind. But I show up late to Billy's special needs school spring pageant, right? And I sit down exhausted. I sit down next to my wife. And then there, you know, I see, I I can't remember if I missed it, but I'm pretty sure I did. I think Billy was up next or something. I made it. But so as I'm sitting there, I look around and I realize something. Um... Every parent in that special needs pageant that was sitting there watching their children and watching other kids' children would have given up anything to be one of those moms that had a kid that could talk, that could express their feelings, that could you know, stand up and talk in the middle of the class. You know, so I was sitting there thinking, well, I just got finished having these moms kind of getting at it each other about their kids. And their kids were, and I'm just going to use the word normal, right? So I'm with a group of people that would have given anything for that to have been the case. And and, and it sort of dawned on me that 
Um, you know, all of us in that room, um, you know, we would have traded places because the things that we dreamed about our kids and the kinds of relationships and the kinds of conversations we'll never have. Um, it was a, just a real big contrast for me, and it just sort of dawned on me, like, wow. And I also realized, too, I like being with my people, you know, my, my, my special needs parents. You know, because in that environment with all the kids up there on the stage and they're just doing their thing, there's no pretense and there's no parent there. They just know life is hard. We know, we just see it. We see it in our kids. We look and the siblings of the special needs kids. You just need to just look at them and you know that life's hard. It's not easy. We're not sort of marching through this life of just, you know, trying to hide. Everybody in that room was just them being themselves, especially the special needs kids up there. And, you know, I'm going to say this for effect, but I think you know what I mean. I like being around special needs parents way more than church people. Now, understand what I'm saying, that that's, that's for effect. I think you kind of know what I mean. In this regard, special needs parents, special needs kids, there's no pretense, at least in that moment, right? And that's the environment I like, right? And so I'm learning from that. My kids have picked up on that. My daughter, Kelly, who majored in college on working with special needs, she says she doesn't have patience uh, or the time for normal people is what she says. Um, and Alec, uh, Billy's brother, has a heart for kids with uh, siblings of special needs because he went through it. Um, his, his older brother had special needs. That's not how life's supposed to be. And then Sherry, my, my wonderful wife, is she is the most natural around special needs uh, moms of special needs kids. There's that bond. There's that cool thing that happens with that group. Um, one little story that goes along with this, because I told you I would tell you two stories. This is first story 1.1. 1. 1. Uh, um, there was a time about that same time when Billy was about 10 or 11. We were there was a <laughs> there was one time we we're sitting at the dinner table and the three of them were all kind of acting up. Billy was doing his thing and I think Kelly and Alec were arguing. And I told, looked at Sherry, and I said, if we brought a stranger off the street to have them stand here right now, we said, pick out which one of them has special needs, no one would have ever been able to tell, right? Because we're, I mean, we, so we laughed about that. But what I learned from that, sort of in contrast with a groom full of special needs kids with special needs adult parents and siblings, and then that thing at the table no one could really tell where the special needs were, so you really just couldn't tell. You can tell in that environment where you're with special needs, but because we, you know, when people are hurting out in the wild, they don't stand out necessarily. Um, and it would be like trying to pinpoint which one of the kids has special needs. And so the, the thing that um, I learned from this too is that if he just had one more piece of information, we might understand the hurt of someone else, all right? Now, I just said a number of things. Just hold those stories just for a second. Say, all right, Bill just said a bunch of stuff. I'm not sure how it all applies. I'm going to take you, and we're going to apply it here in just one second. So I'm going to tell you another story. Um, it's another story of contrast. Um, since moving to Huntsville, um, I've been, since we came in 05, and probably about a year or two later, I started coaching uh, Miracle League Baseball. Um, and if you don't know what that is, just think special needs ba for baseball, 
right? So these are special needs kids that play baseball, and I've been coaching it. I think this will be my 17th year. I'm really not sure. I can't remember. Um, but um, I've learned something from that group of people. There are different divisions now because there are older special needs adults, and then there are special needs kids. And I have coached pretty much the same people the whole time, and so I've, I've watched them go from, you know, teenagery sort of now to adults, and I know the parents. And so when the games are played, there's two games a night for about eight or ten weeks, and usually the early game is the young kids, and the later game is the older adults. And so when I'm there and I am watching the game before ours, um, I see the faces of the parents, the younger parents with the younger kids. And, and I, I recognized something in it because we had it too. There was, a, there was, a, that there was this sort of um, contingent hope, that this idea that you know, it, you know, if this, given enough time, maybe our child you know, might get better or maybe things will get better. And I, can, I recognize it and can see it because we experienced that. And I also, when I look at the younger families, I go, wow. There is, between that age right now and the age of my son right now, there's a lot of things that can happen, really difficult things. And I just sense it and feel it and can watch it. And then when our time shows up, you know, a half hour later or whatever, the older adult special needs show up with their parents or their guardians. And there's the same smile, but I've, I've come to see that... Um, there is a, it's a wiser smile. It's wisdom that comes with time. My wife Sherry says what it really is is a surrender, and she does this all the time. She'll take a deep breath and just go. There's a surrender to the thing that you just really can't fix anyways, and you stop trying to sort of fix it, and you get to that place where you take a deep breath, and it's the breath of the Holy Spirit, and you breathe out. And it's a place of sort of surrender. Um, one of the things I talk about in Into the Wild is, and I help people, help you identify your parish. Um, back in the day, right, when you had a Roman Catholic priest or an Anglican priest, they would they had anything outside the church, you know, it was their parish, right? Maybe a five-block radius was their parish, and they spent time out in the parish with people. And they, so you had a priest out with people. And a big part of Into the Wild is this notion that you and I are a priest. We're a royal priesthood. And we stand between God and people. A lot of times people ask me, hey, this is an evangelism ministry, Bill. How many converts do you have? When do you present the gospel? And when do you get them in the church? I said, man, those are great questions. I said, but let me ask you to tell you this. This is a bigger question. Are you pastoring five to ten non-believers out in, your, out in the wild? Are you pastoring them? Are you representing God to a world that doesn't want him, but you're called to be a priest. And so we talk about, I help you sort of identify your parish, that place where you go all the time. For most of us, it's going to be work, maybe our vocation. A lot of times it's our neighborhoods. A lot of times it's the brewery you go to every Tuesday night, right? Um, and so we identify a parish. Some people ask me, Bill, is your special needs thing with Miracle League, is that your parish? And I would say, well, it kind of is, but it's more like a family reunion for me. Because I see them in the fall and spring, mostly, because all the families are scattered. I don't sort of run into them much because they live in different parts of the city. But when we get together, it's like a family reunion. 
and I, and, I, and, I, and I get with them, and I'm with the older moms and dads, and we have this wisdom that comes from time, and I love that. It is like being with a family member you like. You know, it really is. And, um, and that wisdom that comes from time showed up. And by the way, I promise you, I'm going to tie all this together, but i got to tell you this other part of this. Um, two years ago, I got, I got a new uh, player. His name's Doug. We call him Dougie Fresh. Uh, <laughs> he, um, his mom, he joined the team, and his mom, after the first game, sent me a picture. She texted it to me. And she, it was a picture of Doug at bat. This was his first at bat ever. His, I didn't tell you, Doug's a 50-year-old man with Down syndrome. And his mom sent a picture and said, this is, this is Doug's first at bat. He's been waiting 40 years for this. 40 years. And she explained to me, he grew up where his brother and sister played baseball. And he watched them all these years, right, as a kid. And then they, got, they moved out and moved away. He always wanted to play baseball. And this was his first time in 40 years. You know, as a parent with the special needs, those really cool things don't happen all the time. And that was like, there was like sort of like a one-off amazing thing. But it showed me there's, you know, that when I look at the younger families, you're just running out of time for things to get better. And then, then maybe something might happen, but it's just this ongoing painful thing because you're watching your child you know, and for 40 years he wanted to play baseball. And he finally could, and that's really cool. But most of the time it's like, hey, he wants to do this, but he can't. And it just never ends. And so um, what connects us, what connects me with that community and the community with me, it's the pain of loss, that shared pain of loss, the continual death of a dream, you know, the thing that you always wanted and imagined with your child. You know, the harsh reality of how time can be so painful, and you can run out of time very quick. There is a um, 80% divorce rate in families with special needs. It's like a, it's, it, is, it is a type of a death, too. It can be the death of a marriage when you have a special needs child. Um, and... I mean, just recently, a good friend of mine, they just went through a divorce, and they have a special needs child. Um, it's very, very painful, because you're always wondering, too, you know, who's going to care for them when we're gone? But here's the deal. Wisdom empowers us to surrender and realize there are some things you really just cannot fix. And you begin to accept your special needs child, brother, the way they are. You just accept them the way they are. One confession here before I tie this all together. Um, Every Miracle League season that starts up, in fact, I got the email a couple of weeks ago, opening day is April 1st and the season starts. I get the email and I go, I don't know if I want to do this. I want to quit. But I will always remember that when I show up for opening day and then I'm with my, see my family, you know, it's like a family reunion. When I see them, it's like, ah, I love it. I just surrender and breathe. And I go, this is amazing. Because I am so inept at, like, organization. It's, <laughs> I'm a terrible organizer, but I just show up. I'm, I'm kind of like the coach from Bad News Bears, you know, except without the alcohol. Um, <laughs> um, 
But once I'm with my tribe, right, it just kind of makes sense. So here's the first principle. I think I can tie all these together. Let's get some mushroom gravy on this thing. Um, here's the first principle, and it comes from seeing life for what it really is. I love how, you know, underneath the village church it says broken people coming together. That's how I feel about a lot of things. But this first principle comes from seeing life for what it really is. And here's this first principle. Assume brokenness in every context. Assume it. Even though you can't see it. Which kid's special needs? You know, you go to a special needs spring, you know, concert, you can tell. Um, You know, you just assume brokenness in every context, no matter how good it looks. Assume brokenness in every context, no matter how good it looks, right? So I'm here at a church plant, all these families got their acts together in life, you know, and now you have these moms yelling at each other, and the only reason it didn't crush me was because I just assumed that was, I was just surprised it took that long to happen, right? (laughs) Um, But assume brokenness in every context you're in no matter how good it looks. And the other part of that is, and run into that context with a posture of a fellow tired servant, no matter how you feel, right? No matter how you feel. So the the first principle for me is to assume brokenness no matter what context I am and no matter how good it looks. And that I will run into it with the posture of a fellow broken servant, um, no matter how I feel. Sort of like I want to quit all the time with special needs, uh, with um, Miracle League. Now, if I just say, well, there you go. There's the first principle. Go knock yourself out. Go out into the wild rock and roll. Let's go. Um, then I just, then just would just, this would just be a, like a Rotary Club talk. And we don't do that here, do we? Um, this is where I'm sort of coming in the side door with the gospel because I can't do this in my own strength. I don't want to do it most of the time. And apart from who Jesus is, I can't do this. So I can't leave you there. Now, as a follower of Jesus, we are not to avoid suffering but run into it. Even though you want to quit and even though it kind of looks good, like what do these people really need? And the truth is you can't do it on your own strength. I can't do it on my own strength. But see, why it's so hard for us, we see Jesus, he struggled with the same thing, yet he ran into pain. He ran into hurt willingly as a servant. And and he grew to understand more fully, you know, as as I said, he grew in wisdom. Wow. God took on flesh and then grew in wisdom. He grew in wisdom as he interacted. You know, he understood you know, our sin. He understood, you know, yet without sin. He understood he experienced all the same things yet without sin, but he understands it. And he ran into the pain and he grew in in fuller understanding of our pain about how harsh life is. But he's also now making it right. And, And when we walk into the context where we say, look, there's brokenness here that I can't see, but I know it's there. We walk into that because we know, and we walk into a context where we go, I really can't fix any of this. And I'm going to accept you as you are, but I'm going to tell you, I know the name of the person 
who can change you. I know his name. I can take you to him. I know his name. I'm assuming in every context there's brokenness. I'm assuming that. And I take the posture of someone who found food, and I'm going to take you to it. And that's how we interact with people, because we know the name of the man who is going to fix it, who is fixing it. So one last thing, we're going to close. Um, and I get this from, gosh, I'm probably give you a million guesses and you'd get it the first time. A way that Tim Keller, the, the pastor up in Manhattan, uh, sort of summarizes this. Um, because in the community of special needs and the parents who are just, you know, carrying the weight of this their whole life, very painful some of the stories. Um, I hear a lot, Bill, man, where is God in this? How could a loving God allow this to continual suffering in our children and me? Uh, you know, I'm, you know, divorce happens and all these painful things. And I think the way to explain it really is, is to say, I don't know why he allows suffering like this. I don't know. But it can't be indifference. It can't be indifference because God came to us here and got involved. He came to be among us, to experience the suffering, to experience the pain, all of that. We can't say he's indifferent. And and in fact, however we suffer, he suffered at a higher level that we can't even comprehend. It can't be that he's indifferent. The cross Uh, What took place on the cross, the cosmic separation, the pain of loss, love. Father, Son, Holy Spirit from all eternity experienced this deep kind of love that we can hardly grasp. That was broken. Jesus received the full wrath of God. It can't be indifference. He suffered for us. Jesus didn't avoid suffering. He ran into a broken, fallen world. And you know something else? The resurrection tells us something. Tells us something in, in a brief way, but it's true. Things are getting better. He is recreating everything. It's being recreated. We're invited into that recreation. Paul says that Jesus is the, you know, the first fruits of what's coming. His resurrected body is what's coming. So a, a world that's infused, animated in a way that we can only imagine right now is coming. And he's bringing wholeness. And so the passage I picked for this to think about is from John 20, where it says this in verse 26. Eight days later, this is like, you know, Jesus is already resurrected. He's going to appear to his disciples again. He's already appeared to a number of them, but he didn't appear to, to Thomas yet. And Thomas, and I love where it says eight days. So for eight days at least, Thomas is sitting there thinking, well, that's it. I mean, everything we had hoped for is gone. The world is just a harsh place. Never, nothing's ever going to get better. It just won't matter. I can see him just sort of feeling the, the weight of the world, that things are not going to get better. But then Jesus, it says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. All the do- although the doors were locked, that's a really key phrase. Like, why was that part of it? Because Jesus just appeared to them. And that tells us about, if he's the first fruit, what's to come? So no matter how broken you feel, no matter how broken the situation you're in, no matter how oppressed you feel from a myriad of angles, 
a myriad of people, no matter how you feel, we know because Jesus was resurrected, we know that he is making all things new. We know that. Things are going to be better. No matter the level of suffering we're in. And and that, that new body that Jesus has, newly animated in a way that you and I will be animated one day. You know, it was so confusing when Paul talks about how, you know, things were raised, uh, sown naturally, uh, you know, body sown in a natural body, but raised in a spiritual body. Like, what does that mean? Because he's, he's pointing to Jesus, you know, that initially you were a man of dust, but now once you're, you'll be a man of heaven. Does that mean that Jesus was like, a, it was a spiritual thing? Or, you know, what's, no, what that means is that he's animated it in a way that awaits us. I heard it explained this way, um, that if you were to see a ship far off, like way off, you know, at the horizon, and you can't quite tell, you would say, well, what is that made of? You know, you might say, well, it could be wood or it could be steel. Well, that's what it's made of. But when Paul talks about the spiritual body that was raised, you know, versus the natural body, he's not talking about, like, what it's made of. He's talking about what animates it. It'd be like looking at that boat off in the distance and go, you know, I can't tell if that boat is uh, powered by steam or by uh, a nuclear reaction. So what Paul is saying is that our future, and Jesus shows this when he shows up in a room that's been locked, he is, he is saying that, and you know, we're reading from John, and what Paul is saying that you know, it's a natural body, but now with a spiritual body that Jesus has, it means he's animated in a way just like a ship might be either steam, like, hey, right now, we're in this world right now, we're being animated by steam, as it were, if you follow the analogy. But new heavens, new earth, new creation will be animated like Jesus is animated, like, like a um, nuclear reaction, something we can't quite put our hands on, which means it'll be glorious, which means there'll be no more tears, no more pain, which means that the special needs children, you know, my son, I'll have that conversation with him. I've always longed to. You know, it won't be a 40-year wait for him to get a bat anymore, right? It'll be the new heavens, new earth. And I'll be astonished in every pain, every social injustice, every, every, all the crap that you and I walk through every day will be swallowed up in the new heavens, new earth, and it'll be glorious. And so, um, John Stott said this, how important for our needy, skeptical, hurting generation that Jesus is recognized by his scars. To you and I, our first principle should be as we walk out of these doors, we head into the wild, and we encounter people, you can assume brokenness no matter how good they look. You know? We're being pitted against each other on so many levels, and they got it good, and we got it bad. Da, da, da. There is brokenness on a cosmic, horrible level. Everybody feels it. Everybody. And so that first principle is assume brokenness, but also run into it with the posture of uh, a, a posture of a, being a fellow tired servant, but knowing that the first fruits of Jesus awaits us. And that first fruit, that even that infusion of that power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that we tap into to love people no matter how you feel. Um, so uh, evangelism for the rest of us, it's rooted in the resurrection of Jesus. 
And so I get to, even though I may have obscured the gospel just now, I get to go to the table. And I get to point you to the gospel one more time. So let me get down here. grab something. I have to have my cheat sheet. I don't like to forget anything. Um, like I say, this will tell the story. Maybe if I obscured it, let the story of the gospel ring true now. I'm going to read from First uh, Corinthians chapter 11. I received from the Lord that which I passed on to you. But the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat. This is my body. This is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this bread and uh, as, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show forth the Lord's death until he comes. So we, in the sort of the Presbyterian world, we do this thing called fencing the table. And it's this idea that um, this, the bread and the cup, have this deep meaning for us. It's, it's, it's deep because it's rooted in Jesus, the finished work of Jesus. And so we like to be able to say, because the other, here's what, what we believe, too. And Jesus said this in Matthew 26. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit fruit of the vine, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So this has deep, deep meaning. We're sort of rehearsing what new heavens and new earth will be like, that, that sort of endless you know, uh, marriage supper of the Lamb. So this has deep meaning for us that are followers of Jesus. And so if you're here and you're sort of wondering, you're curious about the faith, we would say that this has deep meaning that we want you to understand one day so that you can come up here. So it's called fencing. It's sort of like, hey, let, you know, let us do this thing, but we want this for you because it has deep, deep, deep meaning. We would also say that, yeah, hey, you may not be a member of this church, but you've professed your faith. You, you've confessed before God and professed your faith before his people. You're welcome here. This isn't for Presbyterians. Thank God. This isn't, isn't just for Presbyterians. It is for um, broken people who have found their forgiveness and repentance in the face of Jesus. That's the thing. This is so meaningful for us. We want you to have that rather than just kind of going through something that will be empty to you. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your gospel, that Jesus, you lived the life we couldn't, died the death we deserved, and through your resurrection, you were screaming in a wonderful voice, this is new creation. I'm the first fruits of what awaits. And uh, Father, we embrace that. We're so grateful for these signs and seals that, 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 that it reminds us of this. And we're also astonished, Lord. Your very presence here is overwhelming to us, Lord. Thank you that you're here. In Christ's name, amen. The Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took the cup and having given thanks as it's been done in his name here this morning, he gave it to his disciples and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. 
which is shed for the remission of sins of many. Take and drink, all of you. So just a little bit of instruction. The elders are going to come forward, and we're going to distribute the elements, but hold on to them, okay? Once you've received both the cup and the bread, some, and some, some of these things are also individually wrapped. If you just don't want to be able to grab anything else, you can take one of those. But hold it together, and then we'll, we'll all feast at the same time, okay? together. This is the broken body of Jesus.
remission of sin. What a glorious, glorious truth. Father, thank you for the truth of this uh, meal. That, Lord, when the day is come, Like uh, waiting 40 years to be at back. One day, we will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. New creation. Newly recreated. And when we drink and when we eat and whatever that is, in the fullness of that, it will be very familiar. It will be like this, but better. That's kind of how life is. Lord, you are making things new. We believe that. We trust you. In Christ's name, amen. Please stand for our closing hymn.
announcement by Sister Lindbaum, please. Let's clap it up for her, please. Thank you very much. Okay, I'm going to give my testimony again. I'm just kidding. I'm not. Um, I am the Village Kids Coordinator, and we start back with our classes next week. So I have two quick announcements. If you would like to volunteer for Village Kids, you don't have to teach. You just have to be there. Be a presence for the kids, or if you don't want to do that, you can prepare snack bags. I would love that. We have five weeks. I have a sign-up sheet. It's very official. Okay? You come and see me today, or I will be sending out emails to my regulars. Um, So there's that. We also have an Easter egg hunt for the small children and the big kids, but not the teenagers. But y'all will be there. You'll be having fun. It'll be great. Ian, I'm looking at you. Um, Anyway, um, and that's Saturday, April 1st. And the reason I am telling you guys this, we need eggs. Um, If you guys have plastic eggs, I know I have saved a ton for some reason over the years. If you have extra plastic eggs, you don't have to stuff them, but you can if you want. Um, We also need, like, candy, nut-free candy, um, or, like, little toys. Some people don't want their kids to have a lot of sugar, whatever you want to bring. There is a random bushel basket out in the foyer. That is where you put your eggs and um, donate candy donations. Um, the more we have, the better. We want to have two hunts, one for, like I said, one for the littles and one for the big. So we need a lot of eggs. And Dollar Tree is awesome this time of year. Okay, that's all I have. Thank you. Do I remember how traumatic it was kind of going from kid to teenager. You don't get to do fun stuff anymore. Oh, boy. I remember well. Uh, receive the Lord's benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you that shalom that Jesus gave in the room. I think I didn't really mention that in the sermon. But the first thing out of his mouth was, peace be with you. Amen to that. Amen.